1: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: Hi there, welcome to your weekly dose of inspiration from the High Performance Podcast. Here's what you can expect on this episode.
0: The thought of not trying my hardest doesn't cross my mind. Like, I, I'm not looking forward to the pain, but I only know that there's going to be pain because I know I'm going to try my hardest. Like, I'm always going to go to that place and I might be rolling my eyes and dragging my feet, but it's not the session itself. It's just that I know I'm going to push myself and I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to be in the painful place again today. And I don't have any issue getting out of bed on those days because I know it's just part of what I want to be. It's what I, it's, I always want to be the best version of myself and I get there through hard work and pushing my body
2: we can't wait for this one Uh, a very quick thank you for all the comments about the amazing Marcelino Sanbe. if you want to join in the conversation about the podcast then you can either follow the podcast on Instagram at High Performance you can follow Damien at Liquid Thinker or follow me at Jake Humphrey Um, I also want to do a big shout out as ever to Lotus Cars my relationship with them goes back years not known not only do they produce amazing vehicles they do it in an amazing county and you should really follow them across social media at lotus cars because they have big plans for 2020 and beyond right here we go then thanks for joining us thanks for subscribing here is this week's high performance podcast Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets of their success. As ever, I'm not alone. Our resident professor and author of Liquid Thinker, Damien Hughes, is with us. And Damien, today's guest operates on a daily basis inside one of the most competitive environments on the planet. What are you looking forward to hearing about?
3: I'm really excited about today's uh, podcast, Jake. I think um, I remember reading many years ago, John McEnroe spoke about his journey from the top 10 to number two in tennis. He said that was an easier journey to make than going from number two to number one, because it just felt like a completely different challenge. And our guest today is somebody that is actually in the process of making that journey and about sustaining it. So I'm excited to hear about it.
2: Let's find out then. How has she made the journey to where she is today? What are the plans for taking the final step on that journey, as Damien has mentioned just there? And what's it like being someone who has to deal with constant pressure, constant scrutiny, pushing her body to the limit, pushing herself mentally to the limit, and at the same time acting as a real inspirational role model for young women and indeed young men right across the planet Let's uh, welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Dina Asher-Smith. Dina, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you for having me. And that intro was so, that is honestly the best intro I have ever had. I'm completely serious. Like, I was listening to it like visionary, all these nice things. I was like, oh, I hope I'm not a letdown. (laughs)
2: <laughs> right. Well, we'll leave it there then. Perfect. Yeah, Thanks for joining good.
0: us. <laughs> let's not ruin it. Let's just end exactly. here. Yeah, call it a
2: day. <laughs> uh, right. Well, let's let's get into it then. Come on. We always start the podcast with the same question. And I, I never like to brief the guests about this question because I want total honesty from them at this point. What is your definition of high performance?
0: Oh, good question. Um, My definition of high performance, that's a very good question, I guess is... um. Thinking from a sporting sporting world, sporting context is just operating at the highest possible level and making sure that everything that you do is engineered and geared to make you or whatever the team is, whatever the environment is, the most successful vehicle possible. And um, it's just meant everything works in sync. It's more like a machine than like a group of people. And to me, that's probably high performance and everything's just efficient and everything's there for a reason and it works well and you're successful. So yeah.
2: (laughs) There you go. Look, Dina, I think for people listening to this, they can understand high performance from a physical perspective. Okay, you were clearly born with incredible natural ability, but then physically you have to hone that ability. You have to work with your coaches. You have to put in the hours in the gym and make sure you stretch so you're supple and you work on your speed. All the things that come from the physical side of being a high-performance athlete. What's really fascinating to Damien and myself and the people listening to this podcast is how you go from being a young girl at school who enjoys running to being mentally a high-performance performer. Can you remember the day when you went from this being something you enjoyed and a bit of a hobby to thinking, right... I need to make this my life. And if I'm going to do that, I need to be 100% dedicated to it.
0: Um, I think for me, it was more of a process than a day. But um, I can definitely remember, I guess, key turning points. But to become, I guess, high performance and become more of an elite mindset and taking it from as you said kind of like a hobby to something that I want to make a career out of and then going from having a career to make being wanting to be the best at what you do um it's definitely a process and something that uh, my coach John who's known me since I was eight years old and tiny um I think he's definitely had it in his sights since <laughs> pretty early probably when I was about 10 but I did not join the wave thanks till I was about 17 <laughs> and um yeah, I guess the turning point that, I guess, um, that you're probably referring to is um, after I had become um, a global bronze medalist at the World Championships in Moscow in 2013, I was um, 17 years old and I had a whirlwind season. I'd done really good personal best times across the 100 and the 200 junior level. And I thought that that was going to be just like the end of my season because I was a GB junior. I was looking forward to going on holiday, you know, like typical kind of schoolgirl vibes. <laughs> like I was happy, I got what I wanted to, but I just. I knew there was a world championships, but at 17, like, you just kind of think, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that at home. And then I got a call to say, oh, do you want to come to the world champs? And I was like, well, oh, my God, I don't have any friends. I don't know anybody. Like, that was my number one concern. (laughs) But obviously, um, yeah, I went. And I didn't expect to run because I was part of the relay squad and there's six girls, but um, I was put on the first leg and I made the strike four. Um, And then we came away with a bronze medal from the championships. And after that... The winter after that, I was nominated for BBC's Young Sports Personality of the Year and I made the top three. I didn't win, but um, I made the top three. And I think that process and particularly being nominated for BBC Young Sports Personality, that made me sit back and go, hang on a second. If um, the GB senior team think that you're good enough to be selected at such a young age and and because in that process of getting a medal, I think at that point I became like the youngest world medalist like ever that like the world championships across the world i ever seen and if GB believe in you to this point you've done this and the IAAF are like congratulations and um, BBC think that you're good enough to be nominated alongside career sports people for BBC's Young Spotty and um, maybe you should take it a bit more seriously <laughs> so I remembered I kind of that day I went and and um looked at my UCAS form and I changed my options to stay in London so I'd stay with my coach and I remember being like oh all my like uni aspirations of where I wanted to go that's gone straight out the window and I literally remember the physical um changing my UCAS form is like okay I better make this career work now because I was working very hard so I'd have the options to go to some of the best unis in the world And now I'm changing it for this track and field thing. So I better make it work. (laughs) That was basically what I was telling myself as I was typing my UCAS form. But um, yeah,
2: (laughs) I love that. And Damien, we talk about this a lot, you know, quite often people will only understand their high performance journey when they see the evidence of what their hard work gives them. And it feels like that is exactly what Dina is saying there is that she was kind of okay until the day the evidence was in front of her that she is making a difference.
3: Yeah that's very much been the theme that we've seen that confidence is often based on evidence that you're capable of doing something but then that leads us to that interesting question and Dean of that when you've been going into territories where you don't have the evidence that you can be number 1 at that stage how do you find evidence when it isn't necessarily so easy to to discover
0: you don't like that's what I love about kind of what I do and my job like you literally don't know like are you going to win the race are you going to be successful who knows but as long as you've done the work you believe in yourself and you've done everything within your power that when you stand on the line you can put your best foot forward you just have to hope that whatever you have inside you is the best and is good enough and you work hard so it is but ultimately like it's track and field like there's seven other women seven other teams on the track at the same time as you and they're just as hungry they've worked just as hard and um sometimes you don't have the evidence like you can have the predictions you can have the times on paper indicative things in training but ultimately like i always say the olympics the world championships and nothing compares to i'm incredibly biased but The moment of a track and field championships and particularly a track and field sprint championships, all bets are off. Like it's literally what happens in that 10 seconds. And it depends on so many effective things. It depends on how you handle it. It depends on what your prep's been like, whether you've been completely honest with yourself and whether you have left every stone unturned and worked really hard because ultimately everybody will see every weakness, whether that's physical or mental, when the gun goes and you've got to race. So quite frankly, like sometimes you don't, but you can just, you've just got to work really hard within yourself to, to that you're in the best position possible. And then you just go and do it. Like that's it. So, <laughs> so, so can I ask you
3: a question that we asked Dame Kelly Holmes and Dina? We asked her to determine that when she was on the home straight of the 800 metres final, how much of her gold medal came down to physical ability versus how much then came down to the mental ability of being able to still run as hard and as fast under pressure?
0: I think it might be slightly different for sprinters and middle distance as well because you have like a different kind of I guess a tiredness or whatever but um I love sitting back with my friends and watching track and field and or, or even if I'm at a diamond league I watch people warm up and they will look fantastic But I can tell you they're not going to win the race and they might have it within them. They might be the strongest, the most technically efficient. But if you look at them, you look at their body language, you look at how they're looking at their competitors. And you know that when the gun goes, they're going to get really scared and they're going to tense up and they're not going to run within the best of their ability. So sprinting is very much a mental game. I think it depends on who you are as a person. But I'd say with me, it's probably about 40 percent mental, 60 percent physical with me. But that's right. because okay. I'm quite fortunate that I've, I'm quite confident within myself. But yep. I know that, but that's just me like as a person in life anyway. <laughs> but if, say, I wasn't like that, it could go up to 60% mental, 40% physical. Because at the end of the day, with sprinting, you've got to stand on the line and you've got to believe that you have what it takes to win. If I do everything within myself, I can win. Like, you've just got to have that absolute belief, whether it happens or not. That's off. That's out the question. And then that comes to the physical: how you handle yourself, how you go through the motions, whether you hit the distinct points in your race. But but it is definitely a mental game because you have to also have the ability in sprinting that um, when the pressure's on within the race, that you might have not done all the phases correctly or your competitors might be right next to you when you're expecting them to be 10 meters behind you at some point in the race you've got to have the self-confidence to not panic because as soon as you panic in a race like it's done it's a beautiful oxymoron in a really weird way because in sprinting you have to be as relaxed as possible to win but obviously in a stadium full of eighty thousand people like (laughs) it's pretty hard
3: so Dame Kelly told us that she felt that it was it was twenty eighty. So twenty percent of it was down to the physical attributes. Really? So her point was that yeah, well, she argued that in that final of the eight hundred meters, she said there was point four seconds that separated the top four uh, finishers. That's a good point. So her point was that everybody was as fast and as strong, approximately as each other. So it was. 80% of it came down to the mentality of being able to hold your nerve.
0: That's a good point. No, but it is It is a lot of holding your nerve, I have to say. It is a lot.
3: Some of your rivals are quite elaborate and, um, and very overtly confident in the way that they strut around <laughs> before the races. We're all and different. They're, they're... <laughs> have you ever found yourself being intimidated or has it ever sowed seeds of doubt in you?
0: Not particularly, no, because I think it's just, I'm going to use a phrase, but it's just believing in your own source, (laughs) basically. Because, like, you can do all the bravado, you can kind of walk around, you can. People sometimes play mind, Rob, try and play mind games with you. Like, they used to try that when I was a bit younger, but I think, like, I don't mind. Like, I'm on my own little wavelength, I'm on my own little vibe. Like, that's it really like but <laughs> what mind games it.
3: would they play with you like um, what kind of things would they try I don't know. to do some
0: people like we all warm up in lanes on a warm-up track and some people will warm up like in your lane like come running at you but um don't I'm- come
2: in my lane Yeah, I'm one of those
0: people that I kind of hold my lane, hold my space. If you want to run in my lane, it's fine. Like I'll run straight through you. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't. But that's what I mean. I don't mind if you're going to come into my space. Then I'm not going to give it up. But it's just about believing in yourself and also acknowledging that they're wasting energy if they're actively going out of their way to be something that they're not. If naturally bravado is how they run well, then whatever, like that's their business and you do you. But at times when people are actively trying to distract you, it actually gives me a bit more confidence. I should probably shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> Please, hopefully none of my rivals this, this podcast. <laughs> but no, it gives me more confidence because if you think about it, so you've got You've been working for four years for the Olympic Games. You've got 10 seconds or 11 seconds of Olympic final. You've got your last moments to prepare with your coach and your team around you before you get separated. And in those last moments, you need to be doing everything you need to win, right? And if your rivals choose to try and distract you in that moment, that tells you that they see you as the ultimate barrier. If they believe that they could do it with their own ability without affecting other people, they they wouldn't care what you're doing. They literally wouldn't yeah. care. They wouldn't care how fast you ran. They wouldn't care whether you were looking good or not. Like, because they'd just be like, I need to focus on me because as long as I do what I'm going to do, I'm going to win. But if they think to win, she needs to be off her A game and I need to affect that, then that's just telling, that, that's telling me that I'm in good shape.
3: I'm interested in the role of your parents in this because when I've seen them being interviewed and when I've seen them in the spotlight, say at the Sports Personality of the Year... That was the phrase that I would use to describe your parents. They have oh, a real quiet you. dignity about them. And Thanks. I'm interested in, in, in their influence in shaping the person standing on that. On oh, i meters. Um,
0: thank you very much for that. I'm going to put that in our little group chat. They will be really happy that you said that. <laughs> so thank <laughs> you very much. And yeah, my, well, I mean, my parents, obviously we're a really, really close tight knit family and, and they've kind of, been the foundation of everything alongside my coach John who's known me since I was eight so outside my parents is then probably John as well I think I'm very fortunate that I come from a very strong foundation and I'm not trying to say that that's better or whatever than anybody else but that definitely is an advantage because I know that If it goes well, fantastic. My parents are super proud. My friends are happy. If it doesn't, then I try again next time. But my parents are still going to love me the same. I've still got the same friends. Nothing goes away. I've always got my foundation and I know who I am. And like I'm happy with who I am, so I don't have to step out of step outside of my character to kind of achieve something because I know that my friends and family are going to be going to be cool. And ironically, if I step outside my character, my parents will be like, "Who on earth was that on the track today? We did not bring up a child like this." But um... <laughs> they they
3: just seem incredibly impressive people, and I was interested in the kind of lessons that they passed over to you.
0: Yeah, yeah, they've they've taught me a lot. They taught me the the value of hard work consistently since I was younger and and just to enjoy every day and take opportun- every opportunity that that comes at you and be very grateful for every time I get to step on the track and be very grateful that in the nicest way the most stressful thing in my life on a day-to-day basis is getting from A to B very quickly that's it like it's a good life i can't complain i'm going to work very hard to be the best at it but if not, if it's not the end of the world.
2: <laughs> it's a lovely, wa- it's a lovely phrase actually, that for keeping what you do in perspective. Because there's one way of looking at it, which is appearing on the global stage, running in front of millions of people at home, running in front of tens of thousands of people in the stadium, trying to fulfil the dreams of my teachers and my parents <laughs> and my friends, and the or nation, you can, <laughs> and the nation. Or you can go r- running from A to B as quick as possible.
0: Yeah, it's
2: a, it's a great way to describe it. Well, it, it isn't is.
0: It? I mean, I always try and. I think I've always had the perspective of that I'm an entertainer, and sport is is a special type of entertainment. Whereas it is our lives and it is really important and it is something that we work on day in day out. It's a lifestyle, so it is a very intense form of entertainment, and we can't lose that. It's just remembering that it's all fun and games in the nicest way. Is. But obviously, <laughs> I'm very serious about it. But it's <laughs> no. all fun and games.
2: <laughs> we we have a phrase in our family, Dina, which I I am um, I'm kind of sensing maybe without having the same phrase you have the same feeling from your family so this was passed on to me by my parents and I've got two little kids and we try and do the same thing with them and it is roots and wings so you're giving your kid the wings to go and fly and do amazing stuff and conquer the world and have no barriers at the same time you've given them roots to know that as you go on that journey you've always got the roots back here and if you need to come back here at any time this is your, this is your base.
0: Yeah, that's definitely that. My dad, I've, I've, mo- I've um, moved out of my house like a few years ago now and every single week, my dad still asks me if I want to move back in. <laughs> so I definitely, I definitely feel that. I have very, very strong roots. My dad's like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? We do miss you. I'm like, it's okay, dad. I'm still coming around. <laughs> but um, no, but seriously, yeah, definitely that is something that I identify with. And I think, um in that i am i am very fortunate and i think that probably on an, on a psychological basis it does give me quite a competitive advantage in a way because yes i'm hungry yes i want to win don't don't mistake that but um at the same time i know that yeah i have a firm loving foundation so if i don't it's not going to ruin my self esteem self confidence my world isn't going to collapse i'm just going to try again <laughs> and try and get better and and make a more successful attempt next time <laughs>
3: That's really interesting, Dina, because on our previous series of uh, the podcast, uh, there was a clip that went viral uh, from the footballer, Robin Van Persie, and it was some advice that he gave his 14-year-old son. And I think he spoke about, he's presented some of the choice of being a winner or a loser in life. But I think the bit that a lot of people really connected with was the psychological safety that he presented beforehand of saying, listen, I'll love you regardless of whatever route you go down as a parent. My job is just to love you, yeah. but you have to make the choices of which which pathway you want to pursue in terms of making excuses or or being or or taking that accountability.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm a big. I, I like the idea of accountability and and lack of excuses. I'm that is a huge part of my life. I really try and make sure that I am um, completely accountable for whatever happens on track, whether it's good or bad. I take responsibility for it because I think when we're when you're in this position and you have a talent or a gift and you have all and that paired with opportunity so you are fit and you have the races and you are in the shape to potentially go and do good things then the easiest the easy things to control are stuff that you need to hold yourself accountable for so whether that's working hard training eating right sleeping right living the right kind of lifestyle so that means not clubbing (laughs) four days a week or whatever um it just means holding yourself to a very high standard but yeah accountability is essential because sometimes you've been given these gifts you've been given these opportunities that other people would love to have and you can't do yourself disservice you can't do all the people that have invested in you um a disservice by simply just not holding yourself accountable and, and not working hard or not being as dedicated as you should be
2: and Where do you stand on, on the theme of responsibility? Because I'm a firm believer in the 100% responsibility mindset. So everything to do with your athletics and your world that you exist in, and this can apply to anyone not in sport or not in athletics, just listening to the pod. Is that if you can say, right, every little element of my life, I am going to take 100% responsibility for rather than looking at coaches to blame or looking at things that happen on the track or the wind direction or little injuries (laughs) I picked up, right? If you can avoid all of those excuses and just Mm. take 100% responsibility, it's a really powerful mindset to get into, I think. I wonder what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, that is that is honestly how I how I conduct my life and it's a hundred percent responsibility. I understand that. Sometimes to be able to take 100% responsibility, you do have to have the financial freedom, particularly in our sport, to make decisions for yourself. So that means going out and making sure you can eat the best food. You um, live somewhere where you can have the best lifestyle, that you can afford the best physio treatment and stuff like that. That also comes into it. So I understand that.
2: But you don't think that (laughs) even without those things, you can still take 100% responsibility for what you have in your world?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that... um, I think that ultimately is is a big deciding factor on whether somebody is successful, particularly in track and field, um, or not. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's about not making excuses. I'd, I'm one of those people that... When people go, oh, it was so windy, I didn't do well, and I'm like, "Mm -mm. if it was that windy, then you shouldn't have raced. Like, if it was so windy that you had to like have a problem with it, then you shouldn't have raced. If it was that windy, if you decided to race, if you stepped on the track, if you stepped up to the line, then you're telling everybody that I'm ready to go. And yeah, sometimes the time won't be what you want it to be, and there might be genuine reasons for that, but it doesn't mean you have to make an excuse or or blame somebody. And yeah, if you're going to make excuses or you want to blame somebody else, then you shouldn't have been on the line that day. day. So, (laughs) yeah.
3: Dina, can we explore the relationship you have with John Blackie, your coach? Because again, these themes that you're talking about are themes that I imagine John has helped embed within you. Now, I'm often intrigued at the uh, the fact that John has gone through seeing you at eight years old Mm. to now (laughs) seeing you in these elite finals and your relationship has obviously had to evolve and develop would you just tell us a bit more about about it
0: John well I don't even know to start with John he is very much like a second dad to me 100 percent. that is how I would describe our relationship overall but um he puts it better than me and he's he says that we've evolved from like I guess like a parent and child relationship when I was younger where he would literally tell me what to do and I'd be like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so um, now I've got a bit older and I understand things to more of a partnership. So we all have very much respectful, equal conversation of what we want to do, how it's best to tackle problems, what goals, what aims do we want to go for, what we think we have to work on. Um, how we improve something, whether something should be brought into the team, taken out of the team and and what the best method for it is. But yeah, John is, there are not enough positive words in the world to describe John. I'm incredibly grateful for all the time that he spent with me and the belief that he's had in me since I was so young. Because um, yeah, it takes a special kind of person to have um, seen somebody at eight years old and gone, yeah, I see something in that one. Just don't let her get hurt and don't let her get bored of the sport. <laughs> That's basically what he's been saying since I, was, since I was eight years old. And he's just gradually um, been really patient with my, both my physical and mental development, adding things in when they needed to be, not pushing me into anything, not kind of pushing me to do stuff that I'm not ready for. And I think the most important thing about my relationship with John is that I hand on heart know that he wouldn't let me do anything or he wouldn't put me in a position that I couldn't handle that. And I think that's a big confidence boost as well. Because if John says you can do it, that means I can do it. Like, because he's, he's known me for so long, he knows, we're, even if I'm not in the mood for something or I might be a bit upset or whatever, he'll, he knows how to pick me up, he knows when to push me, when to step back and yeah, ultimately if John says we're ready, then we're ready to go, yeah.
2: And from a parenting perspective, because uh, parents, as parents, we often struggle with things like this, you kind of, you want to push your child as far as you can <laughs> down a direction yeah. that you know they might love, but at the same time, kind of have a realisation that if it's not for them, you do need to accept that and step back. So from the total reverse, really, what has John done from your perspective that we as parents can employ and be like, right, that is how you inspire and push a, a, an 8, 9, 10, 11 year old without making it too much? It's
0: a good question. I think the most important thing is having fun when they're nine, 10, and 11. Like, honestly, they just need to enjoy it because there's no point pushing anybody to do anything if they're not enjoying it. Like, they're not going to work hard. They're going to be miserable. They might get results if they're super talented, but they're going to run away from you and never talk to you again when they're done. Like, (laughs) there are far more important things in life than just being successful and getting results. I know, and I know that sounds really weird to say on this podcast, but it's true. Like, even looking at times that we're in we can see there are far more important things than than just being the best at something
2: so when did he then turn the conversation from hey dina enjoy the race to right dina we need to win this race when did that so he does that
0: now and again he still does that to me now i think it's because john is so chilled all the time the best most recent example of that i have is the 2018 european championships in berlin i remember i did my semi-final in the 100 and my start was appalling i was like a snail and i was panicking and normally, if that had been a Diamond League, John would have been like, come on, Dina, what was that like? Come on, we're, we're trying to run a race here. We're not going to the supermarket. Like, ha, 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 you know? And it would have been banter. But um, I was panicking because obviously, like, that was the focal point of my season. And I understand that the way you set up your semi-final often dictates how the final goes. So I was a bit like, so John, that start wasn't good. He was like, oh, yeah, it wasn't your best. And then I said so what we're going to do we're going to practice blocks like we're going to kind of get ready for the next race he was like nope, just going to go you're going to go out there next time and do your normal start and then he was like that's what i want you to do just go there normal start i don't want to talk about it again i was like okay he's like we're not doing blocks we're not doing free point we're just going to warm up right. relax chill you're going to go out there and do like what you normally do and we're going to call it a day i was like oh and then i went out there and i had the best start of my career and i won that's kind of affirming that what you already have within you, what you need to do to win. And it's that idea of the self-confidence and because sometimes in major finals, people feel like they have to outperform themselves and do the best that they've ever done to win. And don't get me wrong, physically you do, but psychologically for some people, that's not the best way to go into it. So he knows me and he knew that I just needed to have a bit more confidence in my own ability really. (laughs) And, um,
3: just Great go out story. there
0: and yeah it needed to be special and it needed to be good but you didn't you don't need to tell me to do that cuz I'll panic so um he told me yeah just go out there do what you normally do it's going to be fine and um it was that psychological insight and and that nuance in a coaching relationship is something that you do get after as your coach has known you for what 16 years now it's a very close relationship but it's ultimately like yeah it's a very very valuable tool
2: and Damien, from a psychological perspective, that is really an important lesson there, isn't it? Because it would have been very easy for, the, for Dina's coach to suddenly be like, right, I need to flood her with information about what a good start yeah. is and how you get one and remind her of all the things she's learned. over the last. But instead, he did the absolute opposite. And basically, without saying it, he just said to her, we, you know how to do it. You, you, you've done it before, do it again. That's interesting, Damien.
3: That, to me, is a sign of a master coach, of, of an expert, that, that they can take all that all that wisdom and that knowledge and just communicate in the simplest possible terms. As Dean was describing it there, I was reminded of, uh, Sebastian Coe talks about his dad was his coach. And in the 1980 Moscow Olympics, when he'd failed so spectacular in his chosen event, and then two days later, he faced Steve Avet in the 1500 metres, and his dad had just said to him, stay with Steve over until you can smell his armpits. And 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 again, it seems like a really funny phrase to use, but Seb Coe speaks about that phrase, just smell his armpits until the final 100 metres and then run past him. But it, it was about taking a complex race strategy and just making it as simple as possible. There's something g- inherently genius about about John's work to be able to do I'll that. Tell him that too. Moment.
0: Be well happy for him. A genius, he <laughs> <laughs> won't shut up about that. <laughs> yeah, no, but
3: I think it is the ability to be able to communicate clearly under pressure that he would inevitably have felt is a sign of 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 his own strength as a coach.
0: Well, yeah, I, I agree with you because ultimately, when it comes to those big moments and and. The, the the bigger the stage sometimes the simpler the cues need to be if you've got too much flying around your head in, in arguably what is going to be one of the most important moments of your life then it's a bit too much isn't it you just gotta sometimes you just gotta go out there and do it and not overthink it Correct. so I think a lot of John's technique is making sure that I'm relaxed I'm chilled and ultimately I believe in myself and that whenever when I go out there I'm in the right mindset to go and achieve what I need to achieve or what I can achieve and yeah for him that's making sure I'm chilled happy and laughing, so, (laughs) yeah.
3: Have you noticed the difference, Andina, now, that, like, previously on your journey, you've been chasing after that number one, that gold medal, that spot. Have you noticed the difference since the World Championships last year?
0: No, no. No? I think it's because, I don't know how to put this, but I've never really been much of a chaser, if that makes sense. I love being the underdog, as in, like, I love outperforming expectations.
1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20%
0: off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But I'm always just trying to see where I can go. Like, I've never thought I can't, I need to beat that person. Because the way I see it is like, Yeah, you've got the best, you've got the titans of sprinting, but um, they're not infallible. So all you need to actually do is do the best that you can because you don't know where that's going to land you. Like, yeah, that could land you in eighth place. That's not fair. We need to go and work harder. But also if you focus on yourself, somebody else might be having a bad day or the people that's previously number one, she might have a terrible race. And but if you were just chasing her, you're, you're more watching what's happening. And if she's behind you, then suddenly you have to flip your switch in the middle of the race and go for it. So for me, I've always just been focusing on myself. And so my targets have always been trying to break different time barriers. And gradually, if you kind of focus on that, you focus on yourself, your technique, your time, how you run the races, um, as you get better and better, that's going to push you further and further up the podium. Like, that's just how it works. But it's only in the past three years that John has really started talking about, like, medals and positions and stuff like that.
3: Is that helpful, given the sport that you compete in also, that sometimes you must must hear rumours of other athletes that maybe are pushing the boundaries of what's legal and what's fair and that must seem like a coping mechanism to be able to just focus on your race and forget what anybody else is doing
0: yeah speaking between the lines most definitely I think that that is because quite frankly in track and field I say it kind of (laughs) guarded at all times but you never know what people are going to run you'd never ever ever And obviously we want to win, we want to become world champions, we want to become the Olympic champions, but ultimately you can only ever control what you're doing and you might be running fantastically fast, but you might come third. (laughs) And obviously we want to win, I don't want to sound defeatist, but you also have to be content with doing everything that you can do and you have to be content with doing everything that's within your physical capacity. That you can do. Obviously, if that brings you the gold medal, great, that's what you came for, fantastic. But sometimes that brings you the bronze medal, and yeah, you're gonna be upset because you went out there aiming for gold, but you can't have your self esteem tied to the gold medal because you can never control what's happening around you. And now you understand the intricacy of the, whenever I say that on TV, (laughs) (laughs) you understand the messaging.
3: That distinction then between having the outcome of a gold medal or a world title. Versus the performance of just go and give your very best. On those mornings where you know that you're going to get flogged out there uh, and it's going to be physically draining yeah. and you're exhausted, what gets you out of bed on those mornings when you know you're going to suffer if it's not the outcome of a gold medal?
0: I honestly don't think like that. Like I think I've just been doing it for so long that I don't, that the thought of not trying my hardest doesn't cross my mind. Like, I, I'm not looking forward to the pain, but I only know that there's going to be pain because I know I'm going to try my hardest. Like, I'm always going to go to that place. And I might be rolling my eyes and dragging my feet, but it's not the session itself. It's just that I know I'm going to push myself. And I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to be in the painful place again today. And I don't have any issue getting out of bed on those days because I know it's just part of what I want to be. It's what I, it's, I always want to be the best version of myself, and I get there through hard work and pushing my body. That's how I feel. And I know it sounds really weird to a lot of people. And I know loads of people never believe me. They just think she's trying to, like, cover up and try and pretend that she's perfect all the time. Like, I'm not, definitely. But um, I think I've just trained my mind over the years, like... Pain in what I do, pushing myself and the pain that I'm going to feel is inevitable. There's no point waking up every morning and thinking, oh, God, I'm going to be in pain today because it's going to be the same tomorrow and the next day and six days a week. So if you keep thinking that, you're going to be just groaning and moaning and you're going to end up praying for retirement because (laughs) it's just so like every day is like, oh.
3: So is it about having a clear rationale of why you're doing it? It's not suffering for the sake of it. Yeah. Suffering.
0: For a clear purpose. That's basically it. Suffering, yeah, you're suffering for a purpose and understanding that, unfortunately, I've chosen an aspiration that comes with a lot of suffering. Like, the rewards can be great, yeah. but, like, unfortunately, the downside is that I have to be in pain quite often, and that's something that I made peace of when I was, like, 13. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Okay. Well, there's a lovely quote, isn't there? I think it's an Einstein quote that says, you know, he, you can understand the why, can endure any what." so it's almost like as long as you know why you're doing it you can get through anything yeah
0: that's see so Einstein's a good man I'm joking yeah I, but, um, knew. Yeah, I knew he was onto something <laughs> <laughs> but um, no that's literally it yeah so I hope that does make sense when I say I'd, I never have like that moment when I'm like oh I can't be bothered to get like I just don't have it because I've made peace with it and I know why I'm going to be in pain and I understand it and definitely the feeling of the adrenaline rush when you're in a packed stadium and the, the lights go down everybody's silent before for like the 100 meter final there's no there's I know it sounds crazy but there's no better feeling than standing on the line and knowing that you've worked to the absolute maximum capacity you have to control the next 10 seconds within the best of your ability but you've done everything you can and
2: when you're on the start line Dina do you have total belief that the next 10 seconds is going to go well regardless of injuries and other bits and pieces because I'm I'm a big believer in what's the point in thinking it's not going to go well
0: 100% that is something that I've been working on I guess as well over the past few years as well because ironically you make it more likely because it's like a bit like manifestation like if you believe you're going to do a good start you have a higher chance of doing a good start yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> yeah well I so... always say
2: if you th- if you believe you will you might if you believe you won't you probably won't and that's the you know at least give yourself a chance right life kicks us all when we're down anyway why would you do it to yourself Some exactly like
0: there's seven other people in the line that's trying to see me fail so I might as well believe in myself you, right? <laughs> exactly I'm the one that's got me I need to at least believe in myself because I know those other girls won't want you to be doing well so <laughs>
2: yeah it, 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 I get a sense that this is you're so comfortable in the role that you have as a sprinter is there any element of this job that is not easy for you I mean I wonder whether it's the social media scrutiny or people assuming if you're having an amazing photo shoot for Vanity Fair it must have taken your eye off what you're doing maybe it's the fact that I mean you wrote a really beautiful article for for the Telegraph about Black Lives Matter and 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 the murder of George Floyd in America does everything come easy to you Or are there still areas of life that are a kind of daily struggle?
0: Um, No, everything definitely doesn't come easy to me, 100%. And I think the most difficult thing for me to get used to has actually been being higher profile and being in the spotlight. Because nobody believes me, but especially if you talk to people I went to school with, I'm painfully shy. Like, (laughs) I really... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I understand that in the job that I'm in, you can't be painfully shy. Like, it just doesn't... It doesn't work people and if you're painfully shy people will project onto you while you're painfully shy and particularly in sprinting sometimes it's just useful to be yourself and present yourself rather than let people guess so um yeah I'm shy when I was at school I was one of those people I'm still now very happy sitting at the back of the room and not really saying much like if I'm comfortable I'll do it and obviously if I have to speak I will speak. But why
2: do we see that though why do we see that as not as good as outgoing people why is it I've got a shy son, and I apologise for him. Oh, no. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) And I've stopped doing it. Don't. I
0: I think it just depends on the industry you're in, and it depends on also what you want to get out of it as well. Because I think the hardest thing for me to deal with, and it's hand in hand with this, is that as an athlete, especially as a female athlete, you have no idea whether you're going to be high profile or not. We don't sign up for the fame. Like, as an athlete, nobody, particularly in track and field, nobody is going and running and pushing themselves and going to their very limits, six days a week, for fame. Like, nobody is doing it for fame. <laughs> like, you, there's other ways to be famous that are far less stressful, <laughs> far less painful.
3: So how do you deal with it, Dana?
0: I guess I deal with it by just kind of normalising it. And I think social media is something that is... In, I think it is very difficult for quite a few people that are higher profile and particularly the ones that might be a bit more naturally shy or might be a bit more um they never expected to kind of be in this position so the idea that somebody can type a message to them and because people don't see you as real which is the thing like people kind of always see you as through a tv screen they don't see you as a, a, as a as an actual person with emotion so people kind of just say what they want like all the time which People are free to do, but like, doesn't mean that A, there shouldn't be consequences, and B, it doesn't mean that I have to read it. So, for me on social media, I'm very much more of somebody that puts stuff out there rather than receives. So, I have the accounts, but I don't spend my time scrolling them, especially over this pandemic with all the news all the time all over Twitter. I've pretty much taken myself off Twitter. Like, I'll push, I'll put stuff out there and I'll post stuff that's important, but I won't scroll my feed. And Instagram, I have, I follow all my friends in, in track, but I have like most people that I either compete with or they're genuine track friends. I have them all muted and I have like loads of fashion and dresses and stuff that I like outside of track as well. Because I think it's also that escapism and making sure that you maintain the balance. But yeah, as you can see by my body language, that is definitely something that I'm still getting used to.
3: <laughs> but is that not unusual amongst your peer group, Dana?
0: It's very normal, very very normal. Sometimes I do feel sorry as well for some of my colleagues who might even behind the scenes have stuff like Aspergers and stuff, but they're so they're not really not comfortable. But then people will mock them for being uncomfortable and they think, or they think they're hiding something because they're uncomfortable, but really they just don't understand. They have like Asperger's or something because they're just trying to run, you know? And that is something that, yeah, it's hard to deal with for a lot of us.
2: (laughs) Going back to the social media thing, I saw a brilliant article the other day and it was basically saying that we all spend hours and hours thinking, should I eat this food? Is this healthy? Is this carbohydrates at the right time of day? Blah, blah, blah. None of us apply that filter to what we look at on our phones. So, we're, we're kind of almost eating junk food for our brains All the time. by looking at accounts that are bad for us, watching other people's lives taken through a filter, and you're and you're then comparing other people's filtered lives to your own reality. And of course it doesn't look as good. And then that's yeah. really bad for your health. Of course you're sitting on isn't? your
0: sofa like, oh, why don't I look like that? Because probably exactly. the pitch like doesn't look like that either. Like they've been photoshopped and Correct. zoomed and sucked in as Correct. well. They don't even look like that.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. There was a, a, I, I saw this quote that said, it's never been harder to be ourselves because mm. it's never been easier for other people to pass judgment.
0: Yeah, I actively try and limit what I take in. I actively try and control um, whether it's good or good or bad and that also comes into track because I don't need to be seeing the people that I'm racing, what they're doing in training. Like, Why do I need to know what the girls don't that compare. I'm racing is doing yeah. in, in December? Like, I like them so I'm not going to cause a feud and unfollow them but I don't need to see it. We're all unique and, and it's a sport where you can 100% be yourself and people just line you up and see wh- on what day which self is the best. Um, it's about making it work for you and... and yeah, there's no point comparing because we're all different.
2: And as someone with a one hundred percent responsibility mindset, what they do has no impact on what you do anyway. Of right? course. You yeah, do your thing.
0: Yeah. Um, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent.
2: We've we've pretty much reached the end, Dina, but we always finish with a little quick fire quickfire round. So I'll go first. Good luck. Uh, they're easy. Three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into.
0: Oh, honesty even if you've made a mistake, I want to know the mistake. I don't want you to cover it up. So be upfront, be honest, Um, be responsible as well. So if I'm putting my best foot forward, I would really like you to put your best foot forward as well. I don't want you to be kind of late or lazy or kind of half doing stuff. Because if I'm lying on the track really exhausted, you should be as well. And um, good vibes, positivity. I don't want to little black cloud around me like I'm not a little black cloud I'm a very sunny happy person but I'm also an empath so if you're a black cloud I will become a black cloud too so everybody needs to be on their best behavior that's not being artificial doesn't mean you have to be like that every time of course you will have our down times but definitely more ups than downs
3: what advice would you give a teenage dina just starting out
0: um have fun definitely keep smiling have fun be patient because Well, definitely when I was a teenager, I was one of those people that I'd do like five press-ups and I'd be like, why are my arms still looking like this? Like, why don't I have like huge guns? (laughs) So be patient and consistently work hard because patience and hard work come in hand on hand. Like you might do a tough session, but it doesn't mean that you're going to instantly be faster the next day. You need to consistently work hard and and be patient with it. And then the fruits of your labour will show.
2: I think I know the answer to this one. Are you happy?
0: Yes, of course I am. I'm very fortunate that all my family and friends have done been okay in this crisis, in this coronavirus crisis, and I'm fit, I'm healthy. The Olympics will, fingers crossed, be a spectacle next year, and I'm hoping that I'm going to be in fantastic shape. And yeah, of course I am. It's all good. Life's good.
3: <laughs> How important is legacy for you?
0: At the moment, I want. I, I really want to win. <laughs> that I'm not really thinking about legacy I guess I'm thinking a bit single-minded short-term I want to win I don't I, I want to win now because I've surpassed so many of my own expectations that I had like I'd never thought I'd be an international always wanted to go to Olympics didn't think I was going to go to the Olympics definitely never thought I was going to be a world champion so you might as well go the whole way now and um the legacy thing I haven't I haven't thought about that yet.
2: I think deal with the, uh, deal with the running and the legacy may well just take care hopefully, of
0: itself. Hopefully,
2: hopefully. Final one for people who are listening to this and, and it's, obviously your whole life is sport and sprinting and athletics but this is for, for anyone doing any job in any walk of life. What is your one golden rule to living a high performance life? What's the one sort of final message you like people to take away from this podcast?
0: Be happy, be positive but also be smart. Shortcuts, aren't there shortcuts don't no. that's a big no from me um like though you do things properly do things smartly or smartly cleverly with him. <laughs> that's not a good word either but yeah be smart um no shortcuts and and enjoy the ride
2: brilliant listen it has been an absolute pleasure to sit and chat to you um your <laughs> your zest for life radiates <laughs> over the over the laptop i wish we could have done these in person but yeah, you know, for sorry. various reasons it's not Training possible no, it's not
0: back on properly but, um, <laughs> but i'm just I... i'm
2: just glad the technology exists <laughs> <to still have laughs> <Yeah. this conversation.
3: laughs> no seriously Dana, just to echo what jake said i think it's been a been really inspiring and a real a real treat just to sit down with you so thank you for making the time
0: that's all right thank you for having me and thank you for thinking of me and i hope you get that number one spot um, on the podcast yes. list in the coming year
2: <laughs> that's that's what we're all after isn't it that's what yeah. we're all after. <laughs> <You're> number one <laughs> Damien Jake you know when you just meet people and they just radiate sort of not even just positivity just almost some ethereal thing that you you can't put your finger on but they make you feel good
3: yeah definitely the um we spoke about this before, have not we? After we met Aunt Middleton, and he spoke about how the Royal Marines divide people up into ener- energy sappers and energizers—people that just light up a room when they walk in, as opposed to people that light up a room when they walk out. And Dean was very much somebody that just lit up a room when she walked into it. It was, uh, yeah, she's left us with a warm feeling afterwards.
2: Amazing, and what you know, getting down to the kind of the crux of what high performance podcast is about. One thing that really stood out to me was she had a huge smile on her face when talking about the pressure of standing on the start line of a race. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, when we stand on the start line, she goes, oh, I love it. Yeah, the start of a... She's, she is psychologically perfect in that respect for being a sprinter and for dealing with that very public and very personal moment, which you get all at the same time on the start of a, at the start of a race.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, a big theme that's come across in our podcast has been how people can reframe a certain situation, whether it's they've had a disastrous performance and they can reframe it as 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 feedback or we've interviewed people that have had disabilities and they've then seen it as a strength. And I think the way that Dina reframes pressure and sees it as a privilege is, a like you say, a great uh, competitive advantage to her when she's finding herself on that start line of 100 or 200 metre final. Amazing.
2: And I think that She's obviously been fortunate that she has amazing parents and she's landed with an incredible coach. But I also often think that people make those things happen for themselves, you know?
3: Yeah, very much. I think um, we often talk about opportunity versus preparation leads to uh, high performance. And I think she's had the opportunity to, like you say, be blessed with great parents and a great coach in John Blackie. But she's had to then do the preparation of like say for going going away to university and or for going the nights out uh, with her friends to be able to give herself uh, the opportunity of then delivering high performance. Uh, so yeah, I think and she can recognize how important those environmental factors have been in it. but let's not mistake I think that phrase that she spoke about that complete accountability for them making the most of those opportunities is something that is a very special mindset.
2: She's almost the sort of perfect subject for this podcast, isn't she? Because she is clearly 100% all about putting the pressure on herself, not allowing excuses in, not blaming anybody else, being totally responsible for the journey and the path that not just her life takes, but that her career takes as well.
3: Yeah, and I think for any listeners on this one, I think there's a big area to look at in terms of that message you gave about social media and the parallels of competing in a 100-metre final and that, which is stay in your own lane. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't let other people's noise distract you from you going out there and just doing the best that you can do with what you've got at that moment in time.
2: I feel good for the chat, don't you?
3: I do. I've come away from it really uh, feeling, feeling I've got a spring in my step which is a really special ingredient that somebody can offer that.
2: Well, thanks for being part of it as ever. Oh, thanks, Jake. Loved it. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with the remarkable Dina Asher-Smith. I just want to say, if you have the time, it really, really helps us if you can leave a review or you can subscribe to the podcast or even just rate us. The way the algorithms work, it means more people can see the podcast and more people can be inspired so please by doing that little bit for us you help to share the podcast far and wide also thanks so much for sending in your questions after last week's episode so Damien and I are about to dive once again into your digital post bag and fire through a few of the questions Damien what have you got there
3: okay Jake. well the first question I've got comes on Instagram from Desmond Mace that asks what's the best advice you've ever got and for you Jake, what's the best advice you've ever given So from my point of view, the best advice that I've ever uh, received is um, somebody gave me a quote years ago from the, the, as attributed to the Dalai Lama that says, when you talk to somebody, you're just repeating what you already know. When you listen, you might learn something new. So it's something I always try and keep in mind of just be open-minded and and come with your ears open to listen to somebody.
2: Brilliant. Um, The best advice I've ever given is something I always say to a lot of people. I get messages every single day on, on my social media from people that want to be a TV presenter. And the world is full of people telling you, that it's hard or it's unlikely or it's not going to happen or it only happens to a very few people and they're really lucky. I always give the total opposite advice, and this applies to anybody, whether they want to be a a CEO of a FTSE 100, a a top-level sports person, um, or they just want to be a TV presenter like me. Why not you? And I always say the same thing, it could be you. Um, And I always think that's a really strong bit of advice because then as soon as you think, well, why not me? Well, you know, I would say someone has to be on the telly doing my job in 10, 15 years. It's probably not going to be me. So why not you? And I think the message really is make sure it's you. Um, Let me read through a few other messages that have come in. Raj Real Estate says, Marcelino Sambe seems to be an astonishingly centered individual for someone so young. Lots of messages coming in actually about uh, Marcelino and how amazing he was. Um, John O A Marston24 left us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. He said, I'll be honest, when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, another business person trying to sell us with hope and desire to seize the day, blah, blah, blah. How wrong I was. It's so much more than that. Mondays have not been the same since I've started listening to this. It's not only good, for those in the business world but everyday life too so thank you all of you for your um for your reviews i've got um a question here it comes from sriraj underscore one how do you strike a balance between working hard for a goal and your social life with friends what do you think damien
3: oh what brilliant question that is i think it's a difficult one because you know a lot of people that we've met on the podcast have been almost obsessive in pursuing it but i do think that it's essential that it's balanced to help us have a more rounded personality and understand that rest and downtime are an important part of the process of going for a goal.
2: Yeah, I'll give you one that I often use when I'm going on holiday because I struggle to unwind. My father-in-law said to me, another way of saying recreation is recreation." recreation is recreation. So in other words, you're stepping back to just recreate, to build, to go again. And the other thing I would say for people when they're toying with the sort of challenge of personal life and business life is um, not only is that going to be solved anyway by making sure that your business or your working life or whatever you're involved in is one of your interests because it will attract other people with similar interests. So actually you'll find the people you're going out for dinner with and drinking with and having barbecues with are people that actually you work with but you're actually mates more than anything else and also personal relationships as you know Damien are absolutely key so by fostering personal relationships with people um, that you work with they naturally become your friends you know don't hide behind emails don't hide behind phone calls personal relationships I think is key
3: yeah I think it's massive and then and like just as you're saying it there Jake a metaphor comes to mind that's relevant for you that formula one is the fastest sport in the world and it's and it's won by those that can learn to take their pit stops and uh, most effectively you know and I think that's a metaphor for all of us that however fast life is we all need a pit stop to recharge and i like that idea of recreation love it you got another question yep i've got one here from um this is a really interesting one given what's happened this week from uh matt uh that says uh he's a massive liverpool fan and looking at what makes klopp successful and is it possible to transfer him into a corporate environment as a ceo and would he be a success so, the essence is can a high performing sports manager become a high performing CEO and what are the benefits and risks?
2: Great question. I mean, the two things that spring to mind to me, Damien, are the things that we've been told so much on this podcast from people. The first one is absolute relentlessness. I would say pretty much every guest has talked about relentlessness. Um, and there's a guest coming up in the next few episodes and he will talk a lot about consistency. I think it's great to be relentless, but if you're relentless for a week out of 52, you're not going to be a success. It's about combining relentlessness with consistency and making sure that you recreate and take a pit stop when you need to
3: yeah and I'd echo that that I was fortunate enough for a few years ago I interviewed um two guys Ferenc Soriano and Chiqui Bagheirda Stein that were at Barcelona and appointed Pep Guardiola there and have done the same at City and they told me that they'd spoken to Warren Buffett the American advisor about what to look for when they were recruiting a head coach and Buffett's advice was similar to what you'd look for in a football coach. Three things. Energy, which Klopp obviously possesses. Knowledge or technical expertise, which he obviously does. And then the third one is integrity. Do they role model the behaviors that they're asking everyone else to do? And I think when you see Klopp, he's very endearing, he's high energy, um, and he, and he's relentless as well. So yeah, I think those principles can certainly transfer.
2: I love that. Listen, thanks so much, everyone, for all your questions um, and also leaving so many reviews. I've got one here from James2209 who says, this podcast inspires my work, my home, and my coaching life. As a result of this pod, I no longer blame the company for not having a strategy. I am responsible for forming one. There you go, Damien, real-world impacts. Um, listen, I know you're on holiday, so are we still going to be chatting on Sunday evening, eight o'clock on Instagram?
3: Absolutely, looking forward to it.
2: Listen, top man Damien, thank you all of you for your reviews, for subscribing, for being part of the High Performance family. And uh, the two of us, we'll see you for another episode very soon. Cheers, Damien.
3: Cheers, Jay.
1: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.